Build It Coach, Episode 2, Older Urban Home into Modern Urban Paradise. Let's go. Welcome to the Builder Coach. I help you, the property owner, manage the chaos of a renovation or remodeling project so that you don't lose money, experience a mental breakdown, or become victim to a failed project. The Builder Coach is specifically designed to empower the non-construction professional. I'm your host, Dale R. Scriven, project management and design build professional. Welcome to today's episode where we will do an interview. Today, you will hear from Louis Fuqua. Lewis is a great example of how a non-construction professional can successfully transform an older urban home into a modern urban paradise. Lewis embraced the planning phase, which ultimately gave him the tools to overcome contractor obstacles during his journey. His interview is so profound and inspired the following SPO, smart property owner quote, that is, Give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. That's by Abraham Lincoln. One more time. Give me six hours to to chop down a tree. I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. This quote is about efficiency, not having to go backwards. It's about planning. Don't go into your project with a dull axe. Your project will take longer to complete. Sharpen your axe, and then you will be more efficient when it comes time to chop down that tree. All right, that tree being your project. Marinate on that. Now, let's get into the interview with Louis Fuqua, Older Urban Home into Modern Urban Paradise. Welcome, 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 everybody. We have uh, a great guest today. Um, He did a wonderful wonderful um, remodeling project at his house in Washington, D.C. And I'm not making that an understatement. He did a, a very good job. He he did some great things. And I, I know he's done some things that we as an audience, those who are aspiring to do a remodeling or renovation project, um, you know, Louis Fuqua, who's, who's our guest today, will definitely be able to shed some light on this entire process. Like with any process that's this daunting, there were some things that went smooth and probably some things that didn't go so smooth. And I'm sure that um, um, Lewis will, you know, shed some light on this. Lewis, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Dale. How are you today, brother? I- I'm doing I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I know our um, audience will thank you afterwards. Again, um, if you could just tell the audience your name, please. Yes, my name is Lewis Kukwa. All right. And um, I, I asked this next question just to let people know that, you know, this this show is really geared for the non-construction professional. So what do you do for a living? So professionally, man, I'm a SAT security consultant and I have local clients here in the government space here in the DMV. OK, fantastic. So just to let everybody know, Lewis is not a construction professional. However, he did have a successful project. Um, so let's get into it. Um, so I asked this question for clarity. Did you do a renovation or remodeling project? So we define it here and, and I know these words are used interchangeably, but renovation is, um, a project, um, where all the bones are there. You're not doing any additions. I know you did an addition, so I'm kind of answering the question for you, but no additions are being made. So you pretty much keep the bones. That's a renovation project. And if you're doing, 
you know, if you're changing things up, changing it from its original state and adding on things, you're more like doing a remodeling project. So if you can confirm that, basically you're doing a remodeling, you did a remodeling project. Yes, I did a remodeling project. Um, I bumped out the back of the home 10 feet on two separate stories. Mm. And on the first level, I had all of the walls taken out, uh, put new beams in in order to have an open concept on the first floor that whenever you walk in the house, you can see straight from the opening of the house all the way back to the kitchen, which is at the back of the home. Okay, fantastic. So, yeah, and then I'll ask some questions about that because that's definitely intriguing. And again, you did a wonderful job. I mean, you took a older home that's in Washington, D.C. and definitely brought it up to modern standards, what I consider modern standards. Um, so you definitely were successful in that. But before we dig into that meat, um, into the meat of that, why did you do this project? And I'll prep the audience. You you bought a new home. Well, you bought a home that was new to you. It was an older home. Um but if you could fill in the blanks, why did you do this project? Yeah, so uh, initially when I moved uh, down to the DMV from Pittsburgh back in 2003, I moved into Maryland and I bought a town home there. Um, I found myself over the years spending a lot of time traveling to and fro the city in D.C., you know, being attracted to the, uh, <laughs> you know, the chocolate city that it was. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So I found myself doing a lot of socializing in the city. And then it got to the point where I was spending so much time in the city, some of our mutual friends suggested that I just move into the city. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, anyone who's familiar with the area realizes that the housing prices are considerably different between the suburbs in uh, of, of D.C. and within D.C. So my initial hesitation for moving into the city was strictly based on the cost of homes in the city. So um, after I got over that fear, and um, one day in, it's probably June or July of 2013, I woke up, I had an epiphany that this wouldn't be me spending extra money. It would just be me taking money from one bucket of my assets Mm -hmm. and transferring it to another bucket of my assets. So once I reframed the potential house purchase in D.C. that way, I was able to get behind it. And I probably found a house within two weeks of that epiphany. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Um, Thank you for that background. Uh, So going back to what you said earlier, you you bumped the house out 10 foot on two stories, um, move some columns so you can have an, uh, an open concept. How did you go about that process? Did you work with a designer, architect, engineer? Um, Tell us how you kind of went from, point A to point Z for that fact, but just starting off with this preliminary um, process, how did you get started? You know what, man? I think like a lot of uh, people these days, I was watching um, a lot of HGTV (laughs) and I I, I did a lot of watching your property brothers (laughs) and, um, you know, seeing some of the things that those cats were doing on there. Mm -hmm. You know, I had this brilliant idea that, you know what, I can move into the city and try to do something similar with the home that I would find. Mm -hmm. So, um, Funny enough, man, there was a there's a house down the street that I initially put a bid on. You know, I, I sat down with the owner on the last day that the house was on the market. Uh, they were closing up shop that day. It was a Wednesday to be exact. I spoke to the owner at length for like three hours, mm-hmm. and she pretty much told me where I needed to be um, purchase price-wise for that house to be mine. Mm. So my team, my team and I went back to Maryland that night. It was literally 11 o'clock at night. We were uh, drawing up uh, documents and everything. 
and submitting the uh, the sales agreement to be approved by that seller. I see. At that point in time, um, so the next day we had everything submitted. I get a call later on that day stating that they chose to go with somebody else. Mm. Now I knew when I met her the night before that there was someone coming there like nine o'clock to present their final offer. Um, but like I said, she told me where I needed to be in order to, for, for the house to be mine. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, probably due to an experience on my team's part, they had wound up filling out the sales agreement incorrectly. Mm-hmm. So the numbers, you know, I thought I was submitting a, uh, a proposal for a certain amount of money, but the way we had everything structured within the document, we fudged the numbers a little bit. And whenever they, they got the document, instead of calling for clarification, they just took it for what it was because they assumed that we knew what we were doing. And um, based on that, um, they decided to go somewhere else. Now, since I had such a great rapport with that seller from that day, um, she knew of one of her neighbors down the street, uh, four houses down, who was looking to sell their property within the next year, but they wanted to do some work ahead of time, so on and so forth. So she had her agent call me. Her agent told me about the home that I'm currently in, and she said, can I come and see it today? So my team and I went to go see it that evening. Uh, we ran some numbers. Um, we knew what they wanted to sell it for. We knew what we wanted to pay. We were able to have a meeting of the minds that day and get an agreement in place um, to buy this home. Uh, so it was really one of those situations where I thought I was doing something else. Mm-hmm. And I was meant to be where I am right now because um, the stars aligned in a way that everybody was working for me, not just my team, but the lady who I was previously trying to buy the house from. She convinced her neighbor to sell her house to me. Wow. And that's where I am today. Sure. So just to be clear, who, who, your team being what your agent and was your did you have a contractor working with you? Who who exactly was your team in particular? So. The beauty of this is uh, I have a childhood friend who was living here at the time and he was uh, working with a whole bunch of different real real estate transactions Mm -hmm. and more so from um, being a lender broker, Mm -hmm. but he had people that he had worked with previously that, uh, you know, this is a cat I grew up with, man. So the fact that I'm about to buy uh, a decent, decently priced home uh, to the extent that I can feed my family or my boys with their commission, I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. So I was willing to use his team in that situation uh, because I wanted to keep the the money in the family. I see. I so, see. Um, it could have it could have bitten me in the butt, uh, which it did on one home. But I wound up in a better situation than I would have been had we done the first contract the correct way. Okay. So your team helped you, your team helped you with the actual architectural design as well in regards to putting the, putting together the package to go to get a permit and actually start building. Uh, well, well that, that's the, that's the part I was going to go to next is that, okay. uh, so once I had the, uh, had the home secured, um, I had already identified a, um, remodeler based on friends of mine who were having work done at their home. Ah. So, so I hired that remodeler. He came through, told him what I wanted to do. I pretty much already had my mind made up what I wanted to do um, with the home. Like I said, mm-hmm. all the things I've seen on TV, okay. on HGTV. Yes. Um, so he put together the permits and everything and got everything submitted to DCRA here in DC. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, a few weeks later or, you know, a month later, 
we begin having I begin to have issues with him <laughs> and had to terminate um my service contract with him. Oh man. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. So so it wound up being um you know as you can imagine it wound up being a tremendous headache for me cuz it was the first time that I've done a renovation this size. Sure. And um mm-hmm. I'd already sold my house in Maryland within mm-hmm. like 2 days of listing it. So I'm standing in my boy's uh second bedroom in in his home as a grown man <laughs> and uh you know this situation happens uh-huh. and I'm panicking and you know so I had to fire him and then I had to go through the interview process of trying to find a new construction company mm-hmm. or did I want to go the design build route. Now I did speak to a design build company here. Mm, okay. But uh You're knowledgeable. But based on You're knowledgeable. The, the amounts that they were discussing, it was no longer going to be financially advantageous for me <laughs> to secure design build services. Sure, you know, sure. Uh, sure. I have a little bit of a D- DIY in me, uh-huh. and I wanted to stumble through this project a little more than I would have had I selected somebody design build. And plus, I would not have had the equity in the home that I have now had I gone that route okay. because those amounts were going to be significantly more expensive than just having a regular construction company uh, bring forth my ideas and what I wanted to do. Sure. And I just want to fill the audience in. So there are two primary ways. I never want to say only, but two primary ways things are built within this construction business. You have design, bid, build, which is kind of the traditional way. Someone or some entity designs it, then you go out for a bid, and then the project is built. Um, what Lewis just explained was design build. That's normally when the contractor takes on both responsibilities. The design, there's a negotiation regarding the bid or the pricing of the project, and then it's built. And it's all held within one house. Now, Lewis is exactly 100% right. That can tend to be more expensive. And we'll go into that, why it can be primarily because the contractor accepts all risk for the project. Um, In a design bid build, the contractor can sometimes blame the designer for any mishaps in the project. Um, Design build, the contractor has all risk and they take it from A to Z. So yeah, sometimes those prices, I say sometimes um, those prices can seem to be exorbitant in comparison to the, you know, design bid build path. But no, no, thank you for that. That's, that's very interesting, Louis. So contract, you said you had um, backtracking a little bit. You said that you had to terminate your contractual relationship. Can you describe what kind of contract were you using? Did you use your own contract, like your own home, your own home improvement contract that you had the contractor sign, or did the contractor kind of give you a proposal to sign, and then you kind of went from there? How did you? How what was your contract like? Okay, so so the, in this part I didn't uh, highlight earlier, um, but initially whenever I purchased the home, I purchased the home under a program with a, a, a banking institution. They wanted to roll up the purchase of the home as well as the renovation loan into one product. Yes. So as you can imagine, um, since they're they're going to be the ones, uh, you know, bearing the risk associated with everything that's going down, mm-hmm. they wanted to be the ones to approve what uh, approve the contract between me and the contractor and make sure that all of the uh, pertinent details were included within that mm. contract because at the end of the day, if things fell through, they were going to be the ones left holding a home 
with whatever was agreed to be created and, and done, um, they would be the ones holding that bag and having to sell that or to liquidate that somehow. Yes. Understood. So, so, mm-hmm. so we were pretty much, um, the contract in place that we used, uh, was done in light, um, and partnering with the requirements from the banking institution. Oh, fantastic. That That's great news. Cause, um, I did some previous podcasts here at the build it coach and, um, yes, it sounds like you had the um, teeth in your contract in order to execute and prove that the contractor was not, you know, going about business properly. So you were able to fire them. A lot of times, you know, the situation is almost like, you know, getting your shingles on your roof repaired, right? The, the contractor comes to you, they say, sign here, there's some fine print. And then when it's time for you to fire someone or execute your rights as an owner, there's nothing in the terms and conditions in order for you to execute that firing. And you're kind of right. like, you know, hung out there. So I'm glad that um, you had a good contract and your lending institution understood the importance of that. Um, so, yeah, th- thank you for that. Um, yes, yes. And, and something I want to add to that, um, for any of your listeners that are about to go upon, uh, go through the same process that I went through, um, as you can imagine, whenever I'm looking for the home and I want to get the renovations done, there's going to be some impatience on your part of wanting to skip through some of all of this, you know, this litany of requests and mandates that are going to be provided by the banking institution. Mm. Now they're doing that to protect you as well as to protect themselves. But, um, the way that I looked at it, they were just delaying my project. Um, but having gone through the process that I went through with this and having to fire the person uh, you know, because there there are certain things that whenever you're doing um whenever they're doing draws on the loan that you're submitting, they want to come out, they want to do inspections, they want to make sure that certain things have been done in order to uh, release mm-hmm. amounts of funds to the contractor for the work that was done. Mm-hmm. And like I said, initially, being that I'm trying to get into my home as soon as possible, I saw these things as, look, man, you guys are just making this longer than it has to be. Trust me, this stuff is done so on and so forth. But um, a wiser home purchaser would just be like, look, let me, let me trust their process, that they know what they're doing. They're trying to protect me as well as protect themselves. And let's go through the process that they want to go through because that's going to be the best thing in the end. Mm. So, Lewis, you literally, literally, uh, audience, I hope you're listening to this because that right there is where the thousands of, and hundreds of thousands of dollars is saved. I, I call it purposeful planning. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. That's what happens. And and Lewis mentioned it earlier, earlier, right? DIY HGTV. That's all the stuff that you don't see on TV is the contract, all the behind the scenes stuff. What you see on HGTV is a guy or a gal walking through the space. And next thing you know, a commercial goes and everybody's building something. Walls are down. There's a lot of behind the scenes legal schmeagle stuff that seems or can appear to delay your project, but it's actually helping you plan your project because it's not about what happens when the contractor is doing their work. Your contract protects you uh, in in the happenstance on when the contractor fails to do their work. Now what happens? And um, I think Lewis Lewis gave us some insight in regards to how that, you know, how doing all of that stuff in quotes can definitely help you. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Th- thanks. A, <laughs> thanks a lot for that. Um, so how, how did you so how did you eventually um, look to move forward with another contractor? Um, I know you said you did some interviews. How did you go about landing on the right contractor? So what it came down to me, man, I, um, I think the, the number one utility that I used around that time, I believe, was HomeAdvisor. Okay. Um, because, you know, everyone in, everyone in D.C., I mean, you have tons and tons of companies here in D.C. that are doing renovations, doing remodeling. And you really, I felt like I needed an independent way to verify that the people or the companies that I was going to consider had books of business out there as well as independent reviews that I can look at to see how good their products really were or how good their projects turned out. So I think initially I went to a home home, home advisor because once I'd spoke, once I'd spoken to the design build guys and realized that based on the amount of money that I was approved for by the Mm -hmm. lending institution, the stuff that I was talking to them about was not going to fit <laughs> within the budget sure. of how much money I had left after paying some money to the original contractor that needed to be fired. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, so, so having, and, and on top of that, the beauty of the contract with the lending institution is that any business that I wanted to contract with, they had to go through a credibility check with the bank first and foremost and provide tons of information to them to confirm and verify that they are who they say they are and that they're doing what they say that they're doing. Wow. So wow. making sure that you have, whether that's workman's comp mm-hmm. insurance, mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, license in the uh, areas that you're operating in, yes. general liability insurance, all of these things. Oh yeah. They had to confirm and verify that these, that these companies have these things in order to protect you and your project. Nice. And and yeah, we actually have episodes about that. And we talk about the pitfalls if you don't have those things in line, i.e. if um, you have a contractor with no workman's comp insurance, somebody gets injured. Guess what, people? They're knocking on your door as the owner yes. to um, yes. <laughs> to receive some compensation when they get hurt. We want to avoid all of that. Um, thank you for confirming that. I mean, that's that's fantastic. Um, do you still have I'm just curious. Do you still have that list? Um, or was it something that was shared directly to the bank? Um, in regards to no, the uh, so I think uh, I did pretty much um, informal vetting on my own before I wanted to go through the process of having the final vendor submit the appropriate paperwork and documentation to the lending institution oh, for approval. Great! Oh man, great, great. So you had did you have like a final two or a final three before you went down? How how did you boil down your your last um, few contractors before you made them have that final submission? Was it one or two, three? Um, so so really, man. I think after I did uh, some of the vetting that I did, there was really one person, one group mm. that had risen to the top. I'd already spoken to some of the people. Um, who had done work with them in the past. I was able mm-hmm. to speak to customers who were dealing with them at the, at that current time, mm-hmm. go uh, take a look at the project yes. so on and so forth. So they had pretty much um, outpaced everyone else that I was considering because of how much corroborating evidence I was able to secure to uh, make me feel more comfortable with going forward with them. Man, that's incredible. And and I'm not just saying this, Lewis, cause I know you, I do know Lewis. Lewis is a friend of mine. Man, you get a what I call seriously a good owner badge. Um, a lot, and I try to impress this upon my audience. Um, 
you know, on the Build a Coach Nation that you have to be a good owner. Like projects don't take care of themselves. You have to be a good owner. And so, yes, that vetting that you did, talking to owners, visiting projects, um, not just getting a reference sheet and saying, okay, they gave me three references. They must be good. That is a very serious, formal process that needs to be taken in order to be a good owner. So, man, you get you get a good owner badge for sure. Well, you know, man, I'll say this in response to that. Um, considering my experience with the first contractor, <laughs> <laughs> you know, from a lessons learned perspective, mm-hmm. all of that stuff fed into how I was going to go about securing the second construction company to complete the project. Oh, fantastic. You know, and, 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 I, and I say that, I say that and share all of this so that, you know, some of your listeners, they won't have to go through the same thing that I went through initially. They can have a smoother project like I did the second go around with the second uh, construction company. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So that's some of the background and we, we won't be too much longer. I just want to kind of get into it. Okay, so you have a contractor now. You're about to get started. Was there a large gap in regards to him or him or her, for that fact, getting permits? Was that a big hassle or did that go pretty seamless? I know Washington, D.C. has a very established permit office, but it can become arduous in regards to going through the first 30 days and then they respond to you in 29 days and you have to resubmit. How did that permit process go? Yeah, so so initially, man, and, and keep in mind, my, my project was done six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um and it, it, like you stated earlier, it was a very arduous process for me. And of course, nothing was going to go as fast as I wanted it to or mm-hmm. that I needed it to. So the D.C. permitting process, um, and that's part of the issue that I had with my first, the first contractor, is that um, the architect that he had employed to do the work was not on top of his or her game. Mm-hmm. And that caused a lot of delays. And I couldn't understand why these things were being delayed. Things were promised to me at certain times. Those deadlines would come and go. I would contact the uh, architect. And understandably, they had a lot of work to do. But uh, my work wasn't getting done. And that was the most important thing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so once everything was submitted in a timely fashion and from a completeness perspective, it went through smoothly. Uh, for what I could expect. But like I said, I'd never been through the process before. This architect had already uh, been dragging his feet previously. So all of this stuff seemed to be late to me. Um, (laughs) So, you know, my patience had worn thin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you want to live in your home. That's that's the bottom line, right? You're paying for renovation. You want to. And and, and then even with the, um, the fact that, so this was, these permits were uh, submitted with the first contractor, it came down to um, once I had secured the second contractor and they were approved by the lending institution, I then went down to DCRA myself and paid out of my pocket to have my permits secured just to expedite the process. Ah, oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's how I set up with the, um, with the previous the previous uh, vendor dragging their feet I was and mm-hmm. I had to go and get everything taken care of myself. I got you. But everything was already submitted. It was already there. I just had to, you know, bug the right people, bug the people under the structural review department. And when everything was finally released, I was good to go, went down there, paid the money, everything was secured and the project continued. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And, and, and keep in mind, uh, you know, keep in mind audience that, 
you know, Washington, D.C. is a major metropolitan permit office, right? I've done some projects in Bel Air, Maryland, where the permit office is literally not busy at all. And you can get a permit for minor projects, like literally in an hour, uh, maybe with a, you know, renovation or remodeling project, maybe within two to three days. So it differs. But definitely, if you're in a major metropolitan area, you know, take Lewis's comments to heart that, you know, time and um, having a proper time expectation is absolutely imperative in order for you not to lose lose your mind for sure. Um, now, when during uh, we're almost wrapped up during your construction, who helped you supervise the construction? Um, did you have to hire any help? Did the bank insist on you hi- hiring any help, or how, how did you supervise uh, super supervise the contractor? Now, from a, uh, from from that perspective, man, I was coming up here. I was pretty much getting um, speaking with them daily about what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I was coming up here probably every other day to check on the progress to make sure that what I was being told is actually what was going down. Um, I also had the, I also had to organize and coordinate some of the inspections with the DCRA, which also allowed me to have my hands in what was going on and the progress of what was happening with my house. I think uh, being that I had such a bad taste in my mouth from the previous contractor when it came down to to these guys i was a tad bit more hands-on mm-hmm. with what was going on as well as a little bit more adamant about things being done in a timely fashion um you know i was to use a proper i was cracking the whip to a certain degree sure sure because i didn't want to get burned again sure sure you know? so i didn't have to hire anyone because i was willing to leave work and come and do that myself Sure, sure. Did the contractor submit a schedule to you or a milestone schedule? Did so you can know what to track or how did that work? No, not, not at all. It wasn't. It wasn't that formal at all. But what we would do is uh, at the beginning of the week, uh, he and I would have conversations about what did he expect okay. to complete that week. Okay. So, so I had an informal list of what was on tap for that week. Sure. And then throughout the week, I would just come uh, and, and and monitor the progress of that, as well as you know. You know, harking back to my HGTV dreams, um, <laughs> I wanted to come through here and take pictures and see the progress of, you know, my dream coming coming true, kind of thing. Sure, so it worked out. Oh, that sounds that sounds good. Uh, that sounds great. And and you did a wonderful job because um, I know you had some high level finishes. Um, your kitchen is definitely, as I say, off the chain. Nice finishes. You have. Um, I forgot what you have in there, but you you have definitely some nice finish. Your shower upstairs is nice. Everything is nice. So you definitely yeah, thank you. had some, um, you know, definitely modern modern finishes um, in your home. Um, so the hardest thing about any project, and we're almost wrapped up, the hardest thing about any project is starting a project and closing a project. T- tell me about your closeout. How did you finally close it out? Because you have punch list. Um, are you going to finish that up? Just kind of walk us through how you how did you close it out? Um, you know what? Let me take a pause because before I want this to go in order, how are you able to, and I'm sorry about this audience, but how are you able to memorialize the draw schedule? That's a very important because it sounds like with your first contract, you paid them, you paid them some money, but you didn't get too backwards, but you were cognizant that you may have had a small loss there. And I know you didn't want to repeat that with this contractor. How did you manage that draw process um was that with the help with the bank or did you have to verify some certain scope milestones yeah so we had um 
the document that we shared with the bank or we had with the bank was a very detailed itemized list of all of the work that needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And all of the work that needed to be done had corresponding uh, loan amounts with it. Mm. So uh, the contractor would, would just let me know, okay, these are the things that we've completed this week. And this is what we want to, you know, this, these are the amounts that we're looking to secure from you guys and uh, recompense for those, for those items. So okay. we would go down the list. He would say, look, you know, I have item 17, 24, 28 done, which amounts to $7,000. We want to get that money reimbursed. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the bank would have a, um, what were they called? I don't know, for auditor for a better reason. Uh-huh. I mean, for, for lack of a better term, yeah. they would have an auditor come out and make sure that those items were completed and any inspections associated with them were completed also, and then they would submit payment based on that. They would submit payment to me, mm-hmm. and then I would uh, uh, sign that check over to the vendor. Okay. Was there like a release? Do you, know, do you recall if there was like a release of liens or anything of that nature that the bank insisted on to where the, you know, the contractor couldn't come back to you later and say, oh, you didn't pay me X? Um, sometimes there's no, a document. I, I think, yeah, I think all of that was um, – I think all of that verbiage was within the draw. Okay. Yes. We both had to sign because yep. in order for the draw to be processed, it had to be requested by me as well as the contractor. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds, um, sounds about standard. Thank you. I just want to, I meant to ask that question earlier. I want to backtrack. All right. Now close out. How'd you go about closing out your contractor? There's punch list. There's things that need to be done. Um, and there's probably some warranty at the end, which is, you know, beyond closeout, but just kind of wrap it up in regards to how you got this contractor out of there to perform their work so you can eventually live in your home. Right. So like I was saying, I was, um, I was pretty much on those guys all the time. I was up here multiple times a week. So I knew exactly what needed to be completed, uh, towards the end of the project when they were wrapping things up for like the final week. Um, I went through. And like you said, we created a punch list of the things that needed to be completed before I was going to request and submit for the final payment. Mm-hmm. So once once we came through and we identified which items needed to be addressed, um, they then addressed those items. We marked everything off the list at that point in time. I was willing to submit for final payment. Um, and I did. Those guys were paid. Uh you know, I had a wonderful relationship with them. I've actually had them come back to my house to do unrelated work as it relates to my patio okay. so on and so forth. So, um, you know, I've, I've used those guys numerous times since then because the working relationship with them went so well. Fan, fantastic. And I'll give the audience a little hint. This is a little hint into game theory. Um, no matter what, anytime I'm working with a contractor, I always tell the contractor I have plans to do future work. Mm -hmm. Contractors, they don't want to find work. They want to have referred work to them. So if you have a project and, hey, guys, that future work may be, I don't know, three years down the line. So I'm not asking you to lie. But what I am asking you to do is to kind of put it out there. I have future work. The contractor will listen to that and say, hey, maybe I need to do a good job here so I can get that future work. It's kind of human nature that we once we find somebody that we're comfortable with, we don't, we don't want to find someone new. Um, we'll even pay a slight premium 
to deal with someone that we know as opposed as opposed to dealing with an unknown. So keep that in mind. That's a little bit of game theory with regards to dealing with contractors and such. Um, but Lewis, man, thank you very much. I want to let the audience know this is our inaugural um, interview. We're doing a phone interview. This is the first one. And Lewis, you have been a spectacular, fantastic guest. I thank you very much. And I learned some things and hopefully our audience learned some things. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dale. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a great day. There you have it. This episode is a wrap. This was a powerful interview with Louis Fuqua. Thanks again, Louis, for sharing your experiences. Key takeaways, number one, don't think of the planning process as a waste of time. Number two, vet, qualify, and investigate your contractor. Number three, utilize your homegrown resources. Louis alluded to using his team on several occasions. Number four, actively participate in your project. Trust, but verify. Take pictures. Talk to your contractor. Communication is critical. Feel good about yourself. You took the time to learn. Acting on this information gives you a fighting chance against project chaos, money loss, continuous stress, or greedy, unethical contractors. If you know someone who needs help, invite them to listen. Let's look out for one another and build a strong community of property owners and investors who deserve a dream renovation or remodeling project. Make sure you subscribe to Build It Coach on iTunes, Stitchers, or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. For more details, visit buildacoach.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, may your dream project become a reality. Please understand that every construction project is unique. Therefore, the lessons, teachings, and principles expressed in this podcast need to be tailored to your individual project. Any advice or information expressed in this podcast is intended to inform, educate, and teach. All advice and information is based on experience, research, and opinion.